It's like even when we go through those crazy times and we don't know those pits are there, God will restore us. And when we know the pit is there, but we think maybe we can avoid it by doing it our way, God's still there to restore us. And when we decide to turn around and go the other way, God will restore our lives again. So that is so encouraging. That was amazing. I love that. I wanted to do something just real quickly. If you have helped with the conference, I wish the guys were still here, so we'll give them a hand. But if you've helped with this encounter in any way, would you stand up for just a second? Because this has taken a lot of work and a lot of ladies to do this. And we appreciate you. You're awesome and wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, I want to introduce our speaker for today. This is a lady who has probably the most well-attended Bible study in our whole church, and it's because she is a student of the Word, and then she is a teacher of the Word. And what I love about Carol Sellers is that she finds those truths in the Word because she digs deep to find them, and she relies on the Holy Spirit to bring them out. And every time I hear her speak, I hear something that I've never seen before and it brings it to light in a way I've never understood it before so I know you're going to be blessed if you've not gotten to hear Carol Sellers teach you're going to be so blessed and I believe your life is going to be changed so let's open up our hearts and let's give a hand to Carol Sellers Well, I'm prepared, I do believe. I got my tissues in this pocket because my class knows I cry sometimes. I've got my glasses up here because I'm 40-something and I might need those. Okay. So I am prepared and I want to thank you for coming today. It is a blessing to get to share the Word of God with you. Um, I've, we, I've worked with a girl with, that we interviewed the other day for a different position and one of the questions was how does she handle stress and about orientation and things like that and she said, I love public speaking. Well, I can be honest with you, I don't love public speaking, <laughs> but I do love God, and I do love His Word, and I do love sharing His Word with others, so that's why I'm up here to do this today. Um, I want to start out um, my message today with a little story from Max Lucado. In his book, Outlive Your Life, and if you haven't read that book, it's a great book to read, and he has a study to go along with it, but he tells this story, so I wanted to read it to you today. And he's talking, Dina Lynn is his wife, so that sets it up a little bit. Dina Lynn called as I was driving home the other day. Can you stop at the grocery store and pick up some bread? Of course. Do I need to tell you where to find it? Are you kidding? I was born with a bread aisle tracking system. Just stay focused, Max. She was nervous, and rightly so. I'm the Exxon Valdez of grocery shopping. My mom once sent me to buy butter and milk. I bought buttermilk. I mistook a tube of hair cream for toothpaste. I thought the express aisle was a place to express your opinion. I'm a charter member of the Clueless Husband Shopping Squad. I can relate to the fellow who came home from the grocery store with one carton of eggs, two sacks of flour, three boxes of cake mix, four sacks of sugar, and five cans of cake frosting. His wife looked at the sacks of groceries and lamented, I never should have numbered the list. So knowing that Dina Lynn was counting on me, I parked the car at the market and entered the door. 
En route to the bread aisle, I spotted my favorite cereal, so I picked up a box, which made me wonder if we needed milk. I found a gallon in the dairy section. The cold milk stirred images of one of God's greatest gifts to humanity, Oreo cookies. <laughs> the heavenly banquet will consist of tables and tables of Oreo cookies and milk. We will spend eternity dipping and slurping our way through. Okay, enough of that. I grabbed a pack of cookies, which happened to occupy the same half of the store as the barbecue potato chips. What a wonderful world this is. Cookies and barbecue chips under the same roof. On the way to the checkout counter, I spotted some ice cream. Within a few minutes, I'd filled the basket with every essential item for a happy, fulfilled life. I checked out and drove home. Dina Lynn looked at my purchases, then at me. Can you guess her question? All together now, where's the bread? I went back to the grocery store. I forgot the big item, the one thing I went to get, the essential product. I forgot the bread. Keep that in the back of your mind for a little while, ladies. I will come back to that. When I was teaching English, I would teach my students when they were writing an essay to, cut, to start with a, an attention grabber in the first paragraph. That's the introduction. And then I would say in your conclusion, come back to it. Bring it all together. So we're going to bring it all together in a little while, but keep that in the back of your mind. You know, when we uh, started thinking about this conference and Trish came up with the theme of restore, I started thinking about my own life and I knew part of her story and I knew parts of other stories like the Hartness story that we heard yesterday. And I thought, you know, my life is really not much like that. And in fact, whenever I told my mom what, what I was doing, she was talking to my dad and he said, what in the world is Carol going to say? <laughs> what kind of life? Well, you know, what's she going to say about us? And my mom's sitting over here with my sister-in-law and my niece, and so I'm, I'm really glad to have them here today. So you can ask them if I tell anything about my family, you can get it verified today and see if it's the absolute truth. Um, but Dad was like, what's Carol going to say? And Mom said, Dad, because she calls him Dad too. Dad, don't worry about it. <laughs> and uh, so I hope he's not worried about it today. But, you know, my life has not been like Trisha's. It was not, I didn't go through a traumatic experience like the Hartnesses did. My life, in fact, has been rather boring, if you want to sit back and take a look at it. It would never make the documentaries on TV. It's pretty low-key. And then, like I said, I've never experienced the phenomenal things that some others have. But I have experienced restoration in my life. And I want to share that witness with you because the Word says that we are to be witnesses of Jesus Christ and what he's done in our life. And it doesn't matter what he's done in your life, you can be a witness of that. And even if your life is low-key like mine, I still have areas that I can be a witness in and witness of God's restoration. <coughs> so I want to begin with my life verse. My life verse is 2 Timothy 2.5. Now, I shared this with my adult Bible class the other day. I just found my life verse. I'm 45. I just found my life verse. <laughs> I, I actually did have another one. But this one fits me so much better, and Marty will agree. He's staying to hear me today. I think to check out what I'm going to say about him, but I'm not exactly <laughs> sure. So, <laughs> but here's my life verse, 2 Timothy 2.5. And if anyone enters competitive games... <laughs> see, the people that know me already know this. If anyone enters competitive games, he is not crowned unless he competes lawfully, fairly, and according to the rules laid down. I love that verse. <laughs> and the reason I love that verse is because I play by the rules. I love rules. Nobody else in my family loves rules, but I love rules. I actually read the instructions. I play by them, 
and I make my opponents play by them. <laughs> and then Marty would add that I make everybody play until I win. <laughs> That's the way I do things. So that is my life verse. And while life isn't a game, Paul was using this comparison to make a point about life. Reward comes through living fairly. And living fairly means, according to God's principles, his way. Reward comes by living by his principles or his way. And that skit that Brianna uh, just showed you, my way or his way. Reward is not going to come my way, not eternal reward. I might get a few temporary rewards every once in a while, but eternal reward comes when I live his way and not my way. And the earlier, I see some young people in here, the earlier you figure that out, the much, much better off you will be. His way or my way, there is no contest. And that's the way I've tried to live my life. Now, I've taken it to this extreme in, in a couple of areas, uh, but I live by the rules. And it doesn't mean that whenever you, uh, you know, live by God's rules that you aren't going to have trials and you're not going to have some hard times because you will. The word is very clear about that. He says you will have trials and you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. He says there'll be there, but if you go my way, I will, his way, he will be there with you. But here's been my method of operation. And this is the way I, like I said, I've lived most of my life. Show me what I have to work with, the game board, the pieces, the cards that could be dealt. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about how I grew up. I grew up at a little town, actually, it's just a road, called Weidman. It's over in Izzard County. And we lived out in the country. And this was before uh, direct uh, TV and Dish Network. And guess what? We didn't even have cable. We had Channel 3, Channel 10, Channel 8, and Channel 4 and 11 if you turn the antenna just right. And you all remember the scene. You're inside and your brother or sister's out there turning the antenna. And you go, whoa, no, just a little bit more. Back that way a little bit. That's the way I grew up. That's the TV we had. And my dad absolutely thought the soap operas were from the devil. <laughs> so we did not get to watch soap operas. So our TV went off about 10 o'clock when we were home in the summer or we were home on snow days. Our TV went off because that's all that was on on those channels. And so we didn't get to watch TV. We had board games. That's a lost art kind of in our world today, board games. But I, I, I look at my life a lot like that board game because I knew the board. And by the way, I'm terrible at Monopoly, so I would never play Monopoly with my sister because she always beat me. So I would never play that with her. But I knew the board, I knew the pieces, and I knew the possibilities. And so basically, that gave me uh, what I couldn't change about the game. That gave me my groundwork. And then I wanted to set the boundaries. Tell me what the object of the game is. How do I win? That's the object of the game, so tell me how do I do that. And then tell me what the rules are. Start the clock and tell me to go. Okay, so that's my method of operation for life. And I liked it because it let me know what was allowed and not allowed when I succeeded and when I'd failed. When to say sorry, Uno, or Yahtzee, because those were the three games we had. <laughs> and I could say sorry when I knocked my brother's piece off the board and I wouldn't get in trouble for it. You know, any other time I did something to him, I got in trouble for it. But I could do that. Or I knew when to say Uno when I had that last card. And I knew when to say Yahtzee when I rolled those dice, that little dance move Bonnie did. When I rolled the die and I got all five of the same number. 
So I was very comfortable with that because I knew what to expect. No surprises. That's my life. Don't give me any surprises. I don't deal well with surprises. It's all in the rules, and I win or lose by the rules. And here's another important part, just like everybody else. It was a level playing field. So I didn't feel like anybody had an advantage over me because we had our rules. Now, how do I apply that to a life philosophy? And what does it have to do with restore and restoration? Well, here's what happened in my life. I set my objective. Graduated from high school in May of 1984, and I set my objective. My life will be a success. That's my objective. I was voted most likely to succeed, and by golly, I was going to do it. That's my objective, okay? I set the boundaries. What does a successful life mean? A successful life would include marriage, children, education, career, preferably with the title. Those are always nice. Usually comes with more money. Yeah. Nice home, lots of friends, and of course, being part of a church. And then I established my rules. This objective, the successful life, had to be met within the confines of the law. Remember, I'm a rule. I go by the rules. I'm not going to break the law to do this. No breaking the laws to get a successful life. The second, it must be met within the confines of family expectations. My family is very important to me. I don't like to disappoint them. And so it had to be done within those expectations. Don't disappoint the fam. You know, that was one of my, my rules. The other one was the objective must be met within the confines of what was acceptable to church doctrine. I grew up in a small Assembly of God Church in Calico Rock. And not only are, is my mom and, and my sister-in-law and my niece here, but there's a lady here, Becky Perry, who grew up in the same church I did. And we don't see each other very often. But I remember on those Sunday nights, I would sit in her lap and she would let me play with her fingernails and play with her hair. And that's the way I spent my Sunday nights. But she knows the church I came from. But that church, while it gave me a very good uh, biblical and, and uh, spiritual foundation, back in those days, it was very rule-based. And so we had a lot of, you can't do this and you can't do that. And so I didn't want to disappoint my church family. So I knew I had to have a successful life according to those rules. I didn't want to disappoint those people. And so I graduated from high school, and that started the clock. And I said go. And I graduated in May. I got married in July. Check that off the list. That's really not the way I looked at it. But when I, as I look back, I know that that was part of, of my thinking. If I'm going to be successful, I need to be married. And I've been married to the same man for 27 years. And I love him dearly. And he supports me in, in many, many ways. And so he's here today supporting me. He even stayed when all the other guys deserted us. <laughs> so marriage check. I got my education. That's a check on my list. I had kids, a boy and a girl. It's what I always wanted. One boy, one girl. I got it. Check that off the list. A career. I've been in education for, uh, well, since 1988. So a long time I've been in education, different parts of education, but I've been there the whole time. So I can check that off my list. And on down the line, I was checking off my list. So I was playing by the rules, and by all accounts, I was winning. But you know what? There was something inside me that did, still didn't feel like a winner. Something was still missing, and I was saved. I'm, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm doing good things for God. I love God. He's in my heart. But there's something missing. There is something missing in my life. So I was going through the motions of the game, but I'd lost my passion for the game. I was doing life, but I wasn't loving life. I loved my family. I loved my job. I loved my church. I loved all those things, but I didn't love life. And most of the time, my career. <laughs> I put that little note in there. My focus was the list, 
My focus wasn't my life. In a sentence, I had lost my joy. Remember the video at the beginning of the service, Jessica's daily affirmation, that little girl on the vanity? Do you remember feeling like, like that little girl? Full of confidence, energetic, and positive? Do you remember looking in the mirror and loving who you are and what you have? Do you remember those days? I do. I remember feeling like that, and it was especially strong right after I asked Jesus in my heart. Because at that little church, um, I remember going down to the altar. Brother uh, Morrison was our, our pastor, and I went down to the altar, and I asked Jesus in my heart. Now, I'm seven years old, and I'm a good kid. Ask my mom. She can verify that. I, I was a good kid. My, si my sister wasn't, but I was a good kid. <laughs> I was a good kid. I didn't get in trouble unless my sister made me get in trouble. <laughs> But I was the good kid. So I didn't have a lot to feel condemned about or ashamed about or anything like that. I was seven years old. But I distinctly remember when I asked Jesus in my heart this pure feeling of joy, of total liberation, of thinking I can walk on air. I felt like that little girl. I can do anything good. I can do anything great. And I loved everybody and I loved everything. And that was that feeling of pure joy in my heart but somewhere along the way to 40 something I laid down the joy of God's salvation and I want you to hear this ladies I picked up the burden of my own expectations I laid down the joy of God's salvation and for that I picked up the burden of my own expectations we do that to ourselves sometimes the Bible says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. If we're feeling down, if we're feeling depressed, look at it. Have you picked up your own expectations? Have you laid down the joy and no longer living according to his expectations? Or are you living according to your own expectations? Because that's what I did. Like the song that Angela sang, I let the stuff of life overshadow the joy of life. But you know what? I got fed up with my own game, and I prayed this prayer. It's found in Psalm 51, 12. It says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. The New Living Translation says this at the end of the verse, And make me willing to obey you. Because, you know, a lot of us, me included, we like the first part of that verse, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. I want to feel that joy again. I want to be the little girl in the vanity again. That, that loves everything and everybody, and man, she's happy with her life. She has that joy way down deep. I want that. But you know, the second part of the verse says, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Make me willing to obey. Because when we choose his way, that joy's there, but it's a choice we make, ladies. It's a choice every day to be restored. It's a choice every day to live in the joy of God's salvation. It's a choice we make. It's there available to us every single day. And it's a choice we make. And so we have the power to choose my way or his way. And his way, you're going to have that joy. You're going to have problems, tribulations, and trials. But that joy is going to be there. When you choose my way, those same problems and trials and tribulations are going to be there. But that joy is not going to be there. And it's a choice we make. You know, and there's an old saying that says, women have the, they can always change their minds. That's their, their, the woman's prerogative. If you want to have joy in your life, there's no changing your mind. 
You have to choose every day to allow God's salvation to restore you. And I also made a wonderful realization. For many years, I had read that scripture incorrectly. I had said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Guess what? I can't save myself. I can't do anything for myself eternally. It's the joy of his salvation. So I wanted to make that point because I had read it wrong for many, many years. Without his salvation, no joy is possible. But with his salvation, joy is possible in lives like mine that are pretty boring, mundane, run-of-the-mill. But joy is also possible in lives that have experienced deep hurts and daunting circumstances. Miss Claudette here is on the third row, Miss Claudette Bunting. I've come to love this lady greatly. She's part, she's part of my peeps in the adult Bible school class <laughs> or the Bible study class. And I love Miss Claudette. And uh, she came to me one time and she said, Carol, I have a story and I just have to tell it sometime. God has impressed on me that I don't have a lot of years left and, uh, and I need to tell my story. And I said, we'll tell your story, Miss Claudette. And so I want you to hear Miss Claudette's story today. I was raised in a, in a Christian home, in a godly home. My mom and daddy had prayer and devotion. As I think back, I was a very slow learner. I was always very insecure. I was a loner. I had a wonderful husband. Someday soon I'm going to see him. And I have wonderful children. To be honest with you, they, they went through hell on earth. He got encephalitis, which is a brain inflammation, and uh, they didn't expect him to live. It put a constant fear in me that I didn't release in God. I would say with my husband, he loved me, but he met someone. I never thought of divorce because my vows meant too much to me. And I still loved him. It hurt so deeply and it took me years to get over it. But see, I guess from the stress of all that, I thought, well, if I had another child, it would help keep my mind off of that, you know. The times that I was brought through was so stressful, I believe that that's what threw me in depression. When I got pregnant with my Down syndrome, it wasn't right. I knew it wasn't right because he didn't move very much. And uh, I fell once in front of the commissary. And I, I was having times I'd go down to the storage room. I'd just go down there and just cry. You didn't get complete sleep with Ricky because Ricky, he, he, he would go three or four days and go up to a week. And that put a lot of stress upon us. And I couldn't keep him. I tried for one year. I got to keep him. And then I started getting migraines because it was too much for me. And the doctor told me, he says, Claudia, you're going to have to place him. That was one of my heart's desire was to keep my son. You're not at reality. It's like you say, God, where are you? Where are you? And you feel like a helpless child. People would come and they'd talk to me and tell me things were going to be all right, and I couldn't comprehend, you know, 
at the time. How can you say it's all right, you know? One day I'd have a happy day, and the next day I'd have to be going someplace, you know? And then when the hallucinating started, you know, and the things were real that I was seeing. When I tried suicide, I was just tired. I was, I was so numb, so out. My mama flew down different times, but with the suicide, they didn't know if I was going to live or die. I had overdosed on Elvium, then tried different times with just trying to kill myself. I guess my Michael was about seven, eight years old, and he'd seen, he'd seen it, and he ran for his daddy. And diagnosed with so many things, you know, with uh, depression and fear and anxiety and manic depression and, and schizophrenic and uh, the Bible says we wrestle against, uh, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And, and I can sympathize with people. It's, that, that's real, you know. I dare say that there's not anyone that fear don't come upon them. But you've got to learn to do what to do with fear. If we, if we don't push fear out, faith can't do the work that it's supposed to do. Our faith is in Jesus Christ and what he done on the cross. I'm free from the guilt of my past. For I've traded my shackles for a glorious song. And I'm free. God is restoring me to face reality. He wants the world to see where I was and where I am. I read his word and pray. I walk and talk with him each day. No longer in darkness, but his light, he shows me the way. The years have been many I didn't understand. Depression and fear seemed to be in command. Helpless as a child, he was holding my hand. I cried to him, saying, Father, do you understand? He gave me a mate who loved me through it all, children who loved me even when I'd fall. The prayers that went up time and time again, they were prayers God heard, but time was and is in his hand. many things in her life that most of us never will. Things that threatened her joy to the point that she didn't want to live anymore, but she was restored. Her marriage was, was restored, her mind was restored, and her faith remained restored. And it was because of one thing. She didn't forget the bread. I want us to look at one more, uh, another scripture, John 6, 31 through 35. It says, Our forefathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as the scripture says. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said, then said to them, I assure you most solemnly, I tell you, 
Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. What Moses gave you was not the bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gives you the true heavenly bread. For the bread of God is he who comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always, all the time. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry, and he who believes in me and cleaves to me and trusts in and relies on me will never thirst any more at any time. Jesus says he is the bread of life. And in Max Lucado's language, Jesus is the big item, the one essential product. So what is so important about bread? Think about it. Bread holds things together. PBJ is just an ugly mess without the bread. The bread sustains us through the storms. Just ask Walmart when the forecast says snow or ice. <laughs> the bread brings us together because it's made for sharing. This loaf of bread was made by my friend Deanna. She goes to, where are you, Deanna? She's right back there. She makes me this bread because she knows I love bread, both spiritual and physical. <laughs> she knows I love homemade bread, and she makes this for me. And Chloe and I sit down, and we don't bother with a knife or anything. We just start picking it off. <laughs> because we both love the bread, but it brings us together. Bread brings us together because it's made for sharing. And the bread is broken so that we can receive it. Jesus, the bread of life, holds us together. He sustains us through the storms. He brings us together and was broken so that we can receive, receive the joy of his salvation, his sacrifice, his resurrection, and his restoration. You may be saying, Carol, I get it. I need the bread, but where do I go to get it? A lot of Christians think that the bread is found in going to church, doing good things and not doing bad things. Sound familiar? That was my life's MO. That's the way I thought I was supposed to find the bread. But I discovered I wasn't full and I wasn't satisfied. I had forgotten the bread. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning, before all time, was, God, was the Word, Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God himself. And then in 1 John 1, 1 and 2, it says, and this is from the message, from the very first day we were there, taking it all in, we heard it with our own ears, saw it with our own eyes, verified it with our own hands. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. And now we're telling you in most sober prose that what we witnessed was incredibly this. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. The bread of life and the word of life is Jesus Christ. We find him in his word. Every day is a choice, lady. Ladies, find the bread in his word. Live in the word. Breathe in the word. Let it, let it speak to you because the bread of life is in the word. Pastor Chris always has us do an, uh, an affirmation. Every Sunday morning we talk about the Bible before he preaches. So if you have your Bible with you, I want you to hold it up. We're going to do a slightly different one than he does on Sunday mornings. So listen and repeat. You can, and as he says, you can hold up a hymnal and I won't know the difference. <laughs> this is my Bible. Every word in it is true. It is everything I need to know. For everything, he has called me to be. For everything he has called me to be. And everything he has called me to do. His word is my search engine. It's my GPS. It's my makeup remover. It's my deep tissue massage. 
my higher education, and my career ladder. It's his word breathed over me, breathed to me, and breathed in me. It's his word that calls me, restores me, and transforms me so that I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to close with this. The grain-to-bread process is a demanding one. The seed must be planted before it can grow. When the grain is ripe, it must be cut down and ground into flour. Before it can become bread, it must pass through the oven. Bread is the end result of planting, harvesting, and heating. Jesus endured an identical process. He was born into this world. He was cut down, bruised, and beaten on the threshing floor of Calvary. He passed through the fire of God's wrath for our sake. He suffered because of others' sins, the righteous one for the unrighteous ones. He went through it all, was put to death, and then made alive to bring us to God, to restore us. Bread of life, Jesus lived up to the title, but an unopened loaf does a person no good. Have you received the bread? Have you received God's forgiveness? Have you received his restoration? Might we make the same mistake in our world? In an effort to live our lives, do we get distracted? Do we spend our life checking off the list instead of living our lives? Yet there is only one duty we really must fulfill. We can't forget the bread. <laughs>